0: This episode is sponsored by our friends at Best Fiends. After working all day on the show, I am in desperate need of some time to decompress and cleanse my palate with a little bit of fun and relaxation, which is when I reach for my phone and launch Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a five-star rated mobile puzzle game filled with fun, engaging puzzles to keep your brain both entertained and challenged while you work to defeat some slugs, earn some meteor mites, and grow your character collection. With over 7,000 levels, the most adorable characters, and fun little challenges that update to keep your interest, this game is the perfect de-stressor that can keep you entertained in even the most boring of situations. We are smack in the middle of holiday season, which means I've been able to rack up quite a few levels and challenges while shuttling back and forth between families' houses. I just sit in the passenger seat, crank up the music, and blast through some levels before the festivities can begin. I am on level 635 right now and have almost all my critters sitting at level 19, working very hard to get them to 20. One of my favorite things about Best Fiends is that it doesn't require the internet, which is a lifesaver while on road trips or out somewhere where the Wi-Fi is a little bit spotty. That way I can still play whenever and wherever I want. And I love that I'm having some fun while still making my brain work. So join me and millions of people who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Make the most of your winter downtime and spend some time with your favorite fiends. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When at least police arrived, they, they found lockdown. the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder some people are born with a tenacity that will not quit, a willingness to fight for what they think is right or who they love that is unmatched by any obstacle thrown in their way. On December 16, 2000, a man disappeared during a hunting trip and was never seen again. And it was the tenacity of his own mother that made sure her son got the justice she knew he deserved. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Mike Williams, born Jerry Michael Williams on October 16, 1969, grew up in Bradfordville, Florida with hardworking parents who decided to raise their two boys in a trailer and use the money they planned on using to build their dream house on sending them both to North Florida Christian High School instead. It was there that Mike excelled in every way possible, serving as a student council president, playing football, and being an active member of the Key Club, all while picking up the hobby of duck hunting and falling in love with a girl named Denise Merrill. After graduation, Mike went off to Florida State University, where he majored in political science and urban planning, which helped him get a job as an appraiser at the Ketchum Appraisal Group before he even got his degree a place where he was called the, quote, hardest working man I ever saw by the company's owner. He also married that girl he fell for in 1994, and together they had a daughter. Because Mike was a hardworking man, he often found himself with a packed schedule. He would head off to work, sometimes going hunting before he clocked in, work for most of the day, come home for dinner, and then go back to work coming home long after his wife and daughter were already asleep. However, if you asked anyone, he was just as devoted to his daughter as he was to his work. And it all seemed to be paying off. With about $200,000 made annually, Mike and Denise were able to buy a home in a small upscale subdivision on the east side of the city. Planned for a few trips to places like Hawaii and Jamaica, and, after the unexpected loss of his father, purchased a $1 million life insurance policy through his best friend, Brian Winchester, just in case the same happened to Mike. They even talked about trying again for another baby. Unfortunately, none of that would ever come to fruition. On December 16, 2000, Mike woke up early to do some hunting and, well, before dawn and with his boat in tow, headed down to Lake Seminole. The plan was to get some hunting done early and celebrate their six-year wedding anniversary in Apalachicola that night. However, by noon, Mike was nowhere to be found. Denise Williams called her father to tell him that Mike had not returned, while friend Brian and his father headed to the lake to see if Mike had just lost track of time. When they arrived, they found Mike's 1994 Ford Bronco near the boat launch in Jackson County, and with no sign of Mike, went ahead and called the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, the FFWCC. A search for the missing hunter began right away, and focusing on the 10-acre area near where his truck was parked and about 225 miles away from the boat ramp, A helicopter spotted a boat that, at first, he thought was being used to aid in the search. Inside was Mike's shotgun, still in its case. After confirming the boat belonged to Mike Williams, the FFWCC knew this was likely going to become a recovery mission. This cove had, at one point, likely been an orchard before some rivers were dammed to create the lake, meaning that many of the remaining stumps protruding both above and below water level— requiring some pretty careful steering, leading investigators to assume Mike had hit a stump, fallen out, and sunk under the water's surface. Unfortunately, the search had to be called short due to the approaching storm, but they assured the family that, if their suspicions were correct, Mike's body would soon float to the surface and they would be able to give him a proper burial. Time passed and a body never surfaced. The search for Mike's body continued until early February, with investigators noting that, had Denise indicated interest in continuing, they would have done so. While some found it suspicious that Mike's body was only one from the 80 known deaths at the lake to never have been found, others wrote off the event and explained it away by the presence of animals assuming that the ever-popular Florida alligator, turtles, or catfish may have happened upon his body before it ever had a chance of resurfacing. But with no evidence to prove these theories and nothing definitive indicating a boating accident, Mike's case remained an open one. Denise, who avoided the media during the search for Mike, accepted her husband's fate and arranged a memorial service for him the day after the search ended. All remained quiet until that June when an angler in Stumpfield, where Mike's boat was found, discovered a pair of waders that would, oddly enough, crack open the entire case. With the discovery of the waders, a new search was launched, and pretty quickly, they recovered a lightweight hunting jacket, a flashlight, and in one of the jacket pockets, a hunting license containing the name Jerry Michael Williams but the most telling part of the discovery was the complete lack of teeth marks on any of the pieces of clothing, meaning the explanation for Mike's body not being found no longer held much merit, not to mention the fact that none of the recovered items showed any signs of being in the water for as long as Mike was missing and the complete lack of DNA evidence found on any of the pieces. Regardless, the Leon County judge granted Denise's petition to have Mike declared legally dead on the basis of the recovered items, meaning she was able to proceed with the claims on her husband's life insurance policies. Five years and $1.5 million later, Denise Williams married Brian Winchester, her childhood friend, the best friend of Mike Williams, and the man who sold them that insurance policy. While they were keen to move on with their lives, Cheryl Williams, Mike's mother, was not convinced that this was the end of her son's story. She pushed to have the case reopened and reinvestigated, but would later claim that she was threatened while doing so. Undeterred, she spent the next several years investigating completely on her own while running a daycare center from her home. She ran advertisements in the local newspapers, put up billboards asking for information, and spoke to anyone who would listen to her about her son's strange case. Any and all investigations and breaks in the case were a direct result of her tenacity. In 2004, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the FDLE, agreed to reopen the case at Cheryl's request. The department did not normally have jurisdiction in missing persons cases, and cannot usually get involved in the investigations purely on the basis of a citizen's request. But in offering their assistance with the local agencies, they found that a number of officers agreed with Cheryl about the unusual circumstances of Mike's disappearance. The first real glaring issue was the fact that the boat, when found, had the engine off and a full tank of gas. According to the manufacturer, if the engine was left running when Mike fell out of his boat, as the investigation had surmised, the engine would still be on and, after running in circles, the fuel would have run out. Not to mention the fact that the boat launch where the Bronco was found, the one he presumably used to enter the lake, was an undeveloped patch of mud, leading many to wonder why he would choose that launch instead of the concrete one that was nearby. Not only that, but according to the FFWCC, Mike rarely hunted alone. So it was odd that he was out there by himself to begin with. Then came the real bombshell. When asking the experts, investigators realized that alligators, the prime suspect in Mike's death, did not generally feed during the winter months due to the drop in temperature. And the day that Mike was there, the water was at its warmest 58 degrees Fahrenheit, and at its coldest, 46 degrees Fahrenheit, with about 20 feet of the lake completely iced over. According to a local herpetologist, quote, it is highly unlikely an alligator would have been active, claiming, quote, all they are doing is maintaining their body temperature. 58 degrees is too cold for an alligator to be interested in food at all. He went on to say that even if the alligator had defied typical gator behavior, they would have likely left some parts of him behind that would have been recovered by this point. Not to mention the fact that the found waders completely undermined the whole alligator theory. And the waders offered some new clues beyond their pristine condition. According to a friend who hunted with Mike pretty consistently, Mike took hunting safety very seriously. When he was out on the water, he never put on his waders until he reached the point where he planned to start his hunt, following the common safety procedure to avoid any drowning accidents. Unfortunately, despite suspicions that Mike may have died at the hands of a human being, the new investigation was hindered by the fact that the original investigators clearly did not share their opinions. The scene was in no way protected. The Bronco and the boat both returned to his family. None of the evidence was collected or kept, and the footsteps of the well-meaning volunteers completely covered any possible prints or evidence left behind by a potential killer. So, without evidence or Mike's body, it seemed impossible for the police to make anything of this case. So, it was closed again, and by 2006, the police were ignoring Cheryl's incessant phone calls. But she continued on in any way she could. A year later, in October of 2007, Mike's older brother was looking through some photos when he happened upon one that had the serial number of a 22 caliber Ruger pistol that had once belonged to their late father. Mike had inherited the gun and, after being declared dead, it was the only gun not returned by Denise Williams to the family. So they brought this information to the Jackson County Sheriff's Department, who then reached out to the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms to see if they could locate the gun. Agents went ahead and visited Denise and Brian Winchester, who were living in the home that Mike had once purchased for his family, to see if they knew anything about this gun. Several days later, their attorneys delivered the gun to the FDLE, and it was immediately sent to the forensics lab for testing. The results were not reported, but rumors started to circulate around Tallahassee that a grand jury was being gathered to hear evidence in Mike's case. Something about that gun set the whole case in motion once again. And in 2008, the Florida Department of Financial Services Division of Insurance Fraud, the DIF, in conjunction with the FDLE, worked to extend the statute of limitations on the case. According to the original investigators, none of them knew that there was a large insurance policy out on Mike Williams, nor did they know who the beneficiary was. Had they, they admitted, the case may have been handled a little bit differently. Then they found out that when Denise petitioned the court to have her husband declared legally dead, they failed to mention that the policy purchased from Brian Winchester was not the only policy they obtained. Unfortunately, this was not enough for them to pursue any case, and yet again, the case was closed. In the middle of all of this, a self-described psychic and certified forensic psychological profiler named Carrie Cox identified what she believed was the location of Mike's body. Cadaver dogs were sent out to the spot in Wakula County, but came up with nothing. Despite yet another setback, Cheryl pressed on and eventually was able to get the ID channel to run a segment on Mike's disappearance. She believed that the case was being botched by a man named Mike Phillips with the FDLE, a man who was a friend of both her son and his then wife. He told her very early in the case that alligators probably ate her son, leading her to believe that he was involved in the investigation. She later found out that he never was and was merely using this wild conjecture to comfort her. So disillusioned by the FDLE, Cheryl, starting on New Year's Day in 2012, started writing one letter a day to Governor Rick Scott, asking him to either have another agency look into the case or appoint a special prosecutor to do so. She wrote over 200 letters with no response. When she asked why, she found out that the governor's office had been forwarding them unopened to the FDLE's headquarters, where they were simply placing them in the case files. She was furious. But 2012 also brought something very interesting to Mike Williams' case. The separation of Denise and Brian Winchester on the grounds that he suffered from sex addiction. They officially divorced, much to Brian's dismay, in 2015. He was forced to comply with the divorce and, as part of that order, was told to provide an appraisal of the couple's house due in early August of 2016. Then, the Leon County Sheriff's Office got a call saying that, on August 5th, the day when the appraisal was due, Denise left her home to drive to her job at Florida State. And, while talking on the phone with her sister, she saw a figure climb over her back seat. It was her now ex-husband, Brian Winchester. According to her statement, Brian took her phone and began yelling out directions to her. She did not comply until he showed her a gun. Instead of driving where he wanted her to go, she pulled into a CVS parking lot and stopped near the door. All the while, Brian ranted about her not answering his calls and blocking his texts. He told her he was planning on killing himself because, with their divorce, he had nothing else to live for. She was able to calm him down and took him back to the spot where his truck was parked. Despite claiming he had no intentions of killing her, he took out a tan sheet, a plastic sheet, a spray bottle of bleach, and a tool from Denise's car before he left. He apologized, she promised not to call the police, and he drove away. She drove straight to the police department. As they began investigating this odd case of kidnapping brief as it was, a friend of Brian's claimed he had grown increasingly concerned that as a result of their divorce, Denise would tell the police what she knew about, quote, this guy who died 10 or 12 or 15 years ago. While they mulled over that piece of information, Brian Winchester was arrested and charged with kidnapping, domestic assault, and armed robbery, while Denise requested a protective order against her ex-husband. When Cheryl heard what was happening to Denise, she hoped that this would lead to some resolution for her son. She was the only one in the family holding out hope that Mike was somehow still alive. In December of 2017, Brian was sentenced to 20 years in prison for what he did to Denise. The next day, a news conference was held and Mark Perez, an FDLE special agent, announced that the body of Mike Williams had been found and it was determined that he was the victim of homicide. On May 8, 2018, Denise Williams was arrested on her way to her daughter's 19th birthday, minutes after a grand jury decided to indict her with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and accessory after the fact. With her arrest came another announcement from the FDLE that claimed that they were given information on where the body was in early October of 2017, that county workers had to use backhoes for what they were told was a training exercise, and after five 16-hour digs, holding back water, eels, and water moccasins, the FDLE saw enough to warrant hiring a private contractor. On October 18th, a team of search dogs found the body of Mike Williams in a pile of dirt stacked on plywood sheets. With the help of Cheryl's DNA, he was formally identified. According to the three-page indictment report, prosecutors believe that Denise had begun conspiring to kill her husband with the help of Brian Winchester in March of 2000, nine months before he disappeared. That Brian killed Mike with a gun and, sometime between August and the day he was sentenced in 2014, buried Mike's body with the help of Denise Williams. Denise, of course, declared her innocence through her lawyer, who said he found it convenient that the indictment came just after Brian was imprisoned. He entered a plea of not guilty on her behalf. During her trial in 2018, the FDLE played an audio of Brian Winchester confessing to pulling the trigger at the behest of Denise Williams. Her lawyers argued that the audio should not have been admitted since Brian was not being charged with the murder despite his admission. Brian was the state's star witness, and he regaled the jury with their long, drawn-out love affair, starting all the way back to high school, and unhindered by their marriages to different people. His first wife confirmed this when she took the stand. He claimed that, after rekindling their relationship once again, they started talking about killing Mike so the pair could marry. Divorce because of Denise's upbringing wasn't an option for her. So she suggested staging a boating accident where they could throw both Mike and Brian's wife, Kathy, overboard after another one of their double dates. Brian, however, did not want to kill the mother of his children. Denise didn't seem to have this problem. On the day of Mike's disappearance, Brian said they headed out together to Lake Seminole and got Mike to put on the waders before pushing him into the water, believing he would be unable to resurface. Mike, however, was able to grab one of those tree stumps. So realizing there was nothing more he could do, Brian grabbed the gun and fired at his so-called best friend. Realizing he could no longer pass off this death as a boating accident, Brian took off his waders and buried the body. He then cleaned his trunk and went to a family Christmas party where he learned about the search into his friend's whereabouts. The new couple then, quote, took it slow to avoid suspicion and make sure Denise could cash out on her insurance policies. After four days of testimony and eight hours of deliberation, the jury found Denise guilty of all of the charges against her. She was sentenced to life imprisonment in February of 2019. Five months later, Mike and Denise's daughter was awarded all of her late father's assets and his estate. Her mother signed over everything to avoid prosecution for insurance fraud. As part of a deal, she is not allowed to use any of the money on her mother's legal fees. In January of 2020, Denise Williams attempted to appeal her conviction on the grounds of lack of evidence. She won her appeal, was found guilty yet again, but was given 30 years in prison the second time around. Brian Winchester will be eligible for release in 2034, when he is 63 years old. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to What Terrible Thing Happened on December 17th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon, or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember... Stay safe.